Deep inside every one of us is a lion waiting to be unleashed. Are you ready to be unleashed into your destiny? As we stand on the edge of time, the web of deception is being unraveled. Carl Joseph offers you the red pill and the keys to unlock the shackles of your mind. Get ready to be transformed by God's supernatural power. Let's join him now. I'm going to continue our discussion today along the subject of prayer and the types of prayer available to the believer. Today, I'd specifically like to address intercession and supplication. Now, intercession, by definition, is standing in the gap in prayer for a person or persons who've provoked judgment through their wrongdoing and deserve punishment for doing so. Or to put it plainly, intercession is prayer to hold back judgment. Now, intercession is generally for the unsaved or those without covenant. But in contrast, supplication is for believers because God no longer holds judgment against them as they've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Another definition of intercession is pleading with one party on behalf of another, usually with a view to obtaining help for that other. Now, a believer in Christ is no longer subject to judgment regarding his eternal salvation, so we should be supplicating for them instead of interceding, because Jesus took their judgment on the cross, as I've said. The scripture says that God has not appointed us believers unto wrath, and certainly for the Christian, all wrath we rightly deserve has been placed on Jesus, so we are now free from condemnation. Praise God. Amen. Now, to supplicate, in contrast, is an earnest prayer from the believer's heart, usually seeking or asking for mercy or help in a time of danger or trial, either for themselves or someone else. If you prayed, help me, Jesus, you just supplicated. Now, that's not complicated or difficult to understand, is it, friend? So what does the Bible have to say about supplication? Let's read 1 Timothy 2.1. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for all men. Notice in this passage, prayer, supplication, and intercession are distinct and separate words. If they were all one and the same, there wouldn't be any need to separate them. Also in Ephesians 6.18 it says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now it's worth mentioning that the Apostle Peter was released from prison through supplication by the saints in Acts 12 verses 8 through 12. And this is a very good New Testament example of the saints praying always in the Spirit on behalf of someone else. The scripture says prayer was made without ceasing for Peter, and as a result, God sent an angel of the Lord to release him from prison. Notice this was a time of danger for Peter, and the saints supplicated on his behalf to the Father in heaven, and their prayers were answered. Amen. May I remind you, supplication is for the saints, including yourself, and intercession is for the unsaved, except for the unique case of Jesus, who ever intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father. Now, a classic example of intercession is Father Abraham in the Old Testament, who interceded for his nephew Lot in Genesis chapter 18, verses 16 through 33. And yes, friends, for the Puritans out there, you could make an argument this is also supplication, because Lot was a believer in God. Friend, I would ask you to take the time to read this chapter for yourself. 
But Abraham is asking God not to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah if there were 50, 30, or even 10 righteous people in the city. And I'm sure you know the story yourself. Abraham asked the Lord, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? It's fascinating that even today, people want to put the unrighteous and the righteous in the same bucket. But when it comes to judgment, this is unscriptural. There are at least two instances in the Old Testament where God delivered the righteous first before he carried out his judgment on the unrighteous. One instance is here in the case of Sodom and Gomorrah and another instance occurred with Noah's Ark where the righteous were placed in an ark and separated in safety from the coming judgment upon the earth for the wicked. Other Old Testament examples of intercession are King David praying for his sons, Job praying for his children, and Manoah praying for Samson. There is a principle in Bible interpretation that's called the law of first mention, or precedence, i.e. when God mentions something the first time, he sets a precedent and a pattern for future events, and he does not change his ways, my friend. I believe this distinct separation of the unrighteous and the wicked is a precedent that will also hold true for the rapture of the church, but let's save that discussion for another time. Now, going back to our story of intercession in verse 20 and 21 of Genesis 18, it mentions that cries came up to God from the people, cries for justice. And because God is just, there was a reckoning that had to take place. We see a pattern here in Scripture that the voice of injustice cries unto God, the Father, for recompense. For example, we know that when Cain slew his brother Abel, God said, The voice of your brother's blood cries unto me from the ground in Genesis 4.10. You see, friend, sin has a voice, and shed blood not only terminates that generation, but the generations to come that could have been born through that bloodline. Even those who've been martyred for Christ also cry out for vengeance, as the scripture says in Revelation 6.10. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, do you not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Because we live in a sin-infested world and man is fallen, there are gross injustices going on all around us. But this does not take away from God's goodness. That's not to say each and every one of these grievances have been ignored by God, even if it may appear that way for the time being. No. Sin provokes God. It provokes him to justice. And in the case of intercession particularly, God is holding back the judgment that's rightly due to that person. And we are pleading on behalf of that person for God to extend his mercy. Some people think that the God of the Old Testament is just wrathful and angry all the time. But what does it say in Micah 7.18? Who is a God like unto you that pardons iniquity and passes your transgressions of the remnant of his heritage? He retains not his anger forever because he delights in mercy. Friend, our God delights in mercy, not judgment. But according to the law, the punishment for sin is judgment in this life or the next. The purpose of a priest in the Old Testament times was to minister to God on man's behalf, as opposed to a prophet who ministered to the people on behalf of God. Jesus Christ is the ultimate high priest because his blood paid the penalty for sin once and for all, and he now intercedes for humanity at the right hand of the Father in his priestly role. Therefore, Jesus stood in the gap between us and God. He's the ultimate mediator, and he's interposed between two parties at odds with each other. It also says in Hebrews 5, 7, that Jesus even offers up supplications for the saints. Friend, we were at odds with God due to our rebellious nature. God was at odds with us because we didn't meet his perfect standard of righteousness. 
Jesus was the go-between for us. He solved the problem of original sin once and for all. Hallelujah. Just for the record, God does not delight in people receiving judgment. It's the last thing he wants to do. But because he's a just God, he will defend the innocent and judgment will come nonetheless. Now, in the Old Testament, particularly before the time of Moses, Jesus had not yet shed his blood, of course. So there was no one to stand permanently in the gap. It speaks of this in the book of Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 22:30. And I, the Lord, sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found none. It also discusses this problem of no intercessor in the earth in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah 59:16. And it says, And he saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness it sustained him. Before the time of Moses, man was at a significant disadvantage in the earth, because there was no mediator between man and God. Christ had not yet come in resurrection power, and the Bible speaks of this in Romans 5.14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the sign multitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Even after the Mosaic law was issued, it was still only a temporary solution for fallen man's predicament of being at enmity with a holy God. The annual sacrificial offerings made by the high priest on the Day of Atonement only provided temporary atonement, but not a lasting solution for man's sin issue. However, after the resurrection of Christ, Jesus now resides in this intercessory role, and it speaks of this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And also in Hebrews 7:25, Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them, i.e. the church. So as I've said, to solve the problem of there being no intercessor for mankind, God sent Jesus the mediator and intercessor. So to recap, friend, when we intercede for people, it's usually for those who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Most of all, people come to me concerned about their lost family members and relatives, and I can understand their concern. They usually say something like this, I'm going to pray for my family that they get saved, and I'm going to keep praying until they do. Now, although this is a noble request, no doubt, it's actually unscriptural. Man was designed to preach the gospel, and the best way to pray for unsaved friends or family members is like this. Father God, I ask you to send laborers across the path of my family members to preach the gospel so they might know you. From this day forth, remind the Lord of this prayer and continue to thank him over and over for it. Our scriptural basis for praying this way is Matthew 9:38 and Luke 10:2. I'm going to read from the Gospel of Matthew now. But when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. This clearly doesn't come by default, friend. We need to pray and ask the Father to send laborers across the path of our loved ones. This is true intercession. Not just saying, Oh Lord, save them. Oh Lord, save them. No. 
When it comes to praying for others or even for those in danger, God can use you to do that. And most of the time, I do it by praying in the Spirit. Once a person is Spirit-filled or baptized with the Holy Ghost, he's able to intercede through a supernatural language. And this aspect of intercession is mentioned in Romans 8.26. It says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, when you study this portion of Scripture in the Greek, we learn that there are three literal words which, when combined, means to take hold together with against. Therefore, a more literal translation of this passage would be that the Holy Spirit takes hold together with us against our infirmities. That word infirmity is an inability to succeed in our lives or somebody else's. This implies that if we don't take a stand, the Spirit doesn't have any substance to take hold of with us against that infirmity. That is why prayer is so essential to a successful Christian walk. If we don't cooperate with the Holy Spirit, then we collectively cannot take hold together in manifesting God's desire for what we're praying for. Friend, I hope this broadcast helped you along the lines of intercession and supplication, which are not always commonly understood. These forms of prayer are separate and distinct, and I hope this helped you today. Friend, the bottom line is we need to pray more and not get bogged down in which category of prayer we're in. We need to be led by the Holy Spirit. If you feel an unction to pray, it could be very important. Someone may need assistance or, in fact, be in danger. And if you don't pray, there's consequences even for not praying. I know no one wants to hear this, but it's true. There's times when I've prayed for people and I've asked them later on, what were you doing at this time and date? And they were going through a traffic accident or or a time of extreme danger. Sometimes it can be very serious. So please pray more, friend. You've been listening to Carl Joseph and the Lions Unchained podcast. Carl is a minister who's witnessed God's supernatural power to save, heal, and deliver. Carl is a unique researcher who investigates current affairs, societal trends, technology, cults, and end-time events, all through a biblical lens. Every Monday, new podcasts are uploaded, so stay tuned for the next opportunity to roar into victory. Check out carljosephministries.com for exciting articles, teachings, and discussion points. See you next week, and don't forget to hit the subscribe button 